problems like COVID, we don't have to deal with them that often. True. And, you know, obviously we didn't deal with the Great Depression all that great. That's why it's the Great Depression. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Okay, so we're back with Bryce Ward. This is Incentives and Instincts episode, I don't know, N plus one, let's call it. And uh, Bryce, we are uh, not in the studio. We're doing this remote. We have turned our personal podcast dimmer switch um, to the left, I guess, metaphorically. And um, yeah, it doesn't seem like a wise time to be gathering in the studio. So we're doing this remotely. Bryce, thanks for joining me. Uh, well, happy to be with you. I won't <laughs> say I'm happy to be here because here means I'm back in my basement uh, and, you know, hoping my children don't make too much noise. And so you're coming off of kind of a, you know, when we sort of got together to, to schedule this, this session, you're kind of experiencing some mild uh, cold symptoms and, you know, that created some heightened concern. And, and it would be nice if you could go get tested and, and sort that out. But it, it seems like uh, testing continues to be a problem. I'm hearing on the order of seven to 10 business day delays in getting a test result. Which means that the test is at this point almost useless. Right. And we're seeing, um, you know, I, I don't know if surge is the right word, but uh, I think it's actually the right word to describe the case levels we're seeing on a daily basis here in Montana. Um, you know, we, we went from no new cases for several weeks in a row or, you know, one or two here and there to I think the peak was 147, at least the recent peak. And I think there's debate about whether that is a peak or not. Bryce, how do you make sense of the numbers we're seeing right now? It's it's really hard. It, uh, when testing results are so far delayed, right. uh, it's what you want, obviously, is a sense of what's the level that I'm dealing with right now. And if what I'm instead seeing is what was the level at some point many days ago, um, and we are moving backwards in terms of people at the margin uh, saying, oh, I'll get a test. Like, you know, a month or two ago, it was easy, right? You went in, you got a test, usually got it back in a day or two. And with the surge in cases, not just here, but elsewhere, which is overwhelming the labs that are serving as the processors, because it's the lab processing that is now the constraint. Mm -hmm. um, How many cases are we not capturing? Because... We're not testing the right people. And yeah, it's it's pretty, I guess, no other word other than frustrating. And we're basically almost at the same testing regime we were in in March. Yeah, and just thinking of, of your experience there, like you had some symptoms, and but you did not go get a test. Now, you know, if we're really going to invest in understanding this, the spread of the disease and exposure in our communities, like you got to be able to go get a test and then make decisions associated with that. Because you may or may not have or have had the virus. If you don't get a test, we don't know. And it's really hard to make decisions based on, you know, no information whatsoever. Yeah, particularly when your symptoms are super mild. Yeah, yeah. Right? And we know that that's where a lot of spread 
comes from, mm-hmm. right? But like in my case, I have a hint of a cough that I didn't have before, right? And it could be any number of things. And so, you know, I chose to isolate myself for three days. Uh, but after that, the cough was gone and maybe it's, I have COVID or maybe I, but I was like, oh, look, at this point, I literally feel normal. Like right, right. there is literally nothing, you know, no symptom at all. And you're like, well, am I supposed to continue to make my wife deal with my children in, by herself? Uh, you know, am I supposed to continue just to sit in the basement? And yeah, it would be much, 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 much nicer to have been like, oh yeah, I can go get a test and they'll give me a result in like a day or two. Ideally, it would have given me a result in like 15 minutes. Um, you know, then in that case, absolutely, I would go get tested. Sure. Uh, but you know, when you're like, well, am I going to go to the hassle of getting tested for them to tell me that, well, we'll have your results in two weeks? Uh, no, that's that. You know, that doesn't that doesn't work. Uh, that's just uh, you know. I mean, if I have a fever and I have more symptoms, then sure. But like, when you're like, yeah, the odds are this is nothing. I'm gonna you know, like a lot of people, and maybe I'm being irresponsible, but like, uh, it's we're putting people in situations which we shouldn't be putting people in situations in because the the choices are too it's too extreme relative to what you're you know it's easy to stay home when you're sick yeah right you know it's like yeah i already don't feel good and i don't want to do things um it's much harder to kind of put yourself into a bubble uh if you feel fine yeah and and even within that Bryce like it, it's it's hard for you to do it it's hard for me to do it and, and the fact that it's hard for, or we perceive it as hard, you know, given the privileges that we have in our life or the ease with which we can make those choices. Like other people, it's not even a debate, like a little sniffle. I can't not go to work over that. I can't drop everything, take a day off of work, go get swabbed. I mean, yeah, we're in a fortunate position. And even then, I think like it's probably pretty easy for us to be responsible. And yet that's, it's hard to even know if it's worth being responsible. I mean, I think what we do know, it's clear that there's a lot more virus in our state. We understand that it spreads. I mean, in certain ways, these clusters have tended to emerge. We saw that retirement home in Billings where there was sort of a hotspot. It also seems we know that masks make a difference, that outside makes a difference. And we're seeing some promising data about how the disease manifests in children. Children sort of tend to uh, be less uh, less likely to spread the virus through coughing and sneezing and things like that. It manifests more of an inflammatory, um, agitated state. And so that could point to some promising ideas about schools, etc. We'll get to that in a moment. So we do know a few things. But like you said, without... a, a a reliable and robust testing regime, we really can't understand the trajectory, uh, if it's growing, if it's going away, if it's peaked or not. And, and that, that seems to be a really big problem, knowing we have more and not knowing quite how to understand that growth. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole vision. Until you get to some point where you have effective treatment or vaccine is 
look, it's a virus. Mm -hmm. Viruses spread from human to human. And so I can either not interact with any humans or we can find the humans that have it and keep them from interacting with them. And if I can't find the humans that have it, we can't execute the vision. And we have to go back into, well, I guess I got to assume that any person I interact with is likely to be carrying this. And, uh, you know, that, that puts us all back into restricting our, our, our activity and, you know, both our economic activity and our social activities in ways that ideally we wouldn't have to at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should be through it. We're not. If you looked at the, the numbers of, you know, uh, the numbers around the disease in the state, you know, the, we made the decisions to shelter in place and to shut things down back in March. We're well past those levels. Oh, massively past those um, levels. You know, the mask order at the county and state level seems useful. I see people abiding by it in our in our community, and that's reassuring. I mean, we've talked about the social si signal that a mask sends, regard you know, whether or not it's effective. I mean, there's 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 studies going on that indicate that that there's there's a, a good efficacy with masks, but beyond that, it just sends a signal that hey, I care about other people in my community, and I'm a responsible citizen, and sort of it's it's it's, it's a great norm in a lot of ways, and I'm seeing it abided by a lot in Missoula, which is reassuring. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly uh, it's, we have ample evidence that masks appear to be quite effective and hopefully we will start seeing the benefits of that over the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also appreciate the social signal of, Hey, I care about you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is a good thing for us to live in a community where we can look around and be like, oh yeah, people care about not just themselves, but the health of those around them. Mm -hmm. And so speaking of the health of those around us and the health of our community, I mean, you, you, you engage with the economic leaders of our community frequently. We're recording here, sort of approaching the tail end of July. A lot of the programs in the CARES Act are set to expire at the end of July, and there doesn't seem like much action is taking place in the Senate at the federal level to uh, to address that in any way and sort of think about what's next. How are you making sense of, um, well, I guess there's two questions there. Like, how are you making sense of the policy stall? But before that, maybe talk about like what happens August 1st. Um, to the business community, to individual consumers? Like, what, what are you looking for out there? Um, okay, so CARES Act pumped a lot of money into the economy. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, it actually increased income above the levels that we would have expected to see without COVID. Um, in terms so of it, a lot of those uh, individual unemployment security payments, the six hundred. Yeah, so yeah, so if you're getting six hundred dollars a month, a lot of people are getting more money. Uh, their wages effectively went up. Yeah. We're basically paying you to stay home, mm -hmm. um, and we're paying you a a good wage to stay home. Uh, there was the twelve hundred dollar payments for people, um, and then you have the business side of it as well. But as a result of that. Um, you know, we've, we've supported a lot of consumption, Yeah. uh, you know, and, 
and some of that that consumption was probably irresponsible. Um, well, you got, yeah, but, you got you people know. with extra money in their pockets and extra time on their calendar. Yeah. They don't have to go to work and they got more money. I mean, that's going to lead to, even if it's irresponsible, it's just going to, it naturally will lead to more consumption. Yes. And, you know, if you go around our state you, I'm, and you actually interact with some of the out-of-state people, they will tell you that exact story, mm-hmm. right? Uh I'm here on my unemployment check. Um, uh, but um, so, yeah, so that's, you know, and from an economic standpoint, that has provided meaningful support. Um, you know, we bottomed out in the middle of April, right before the CARES Act passed. And almost immediately after uh, the, 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 the payment started going out, consumption jumped. And then it rose for about two months until the middle of June, at which point everything stalled out. And we stalled out in part because the virus resurged and people had to be like, oh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, now we're in kind of this holding pattern of, uh, you know, in, in, and in certainly in places where the virus is, you know, worse than Montana, we've actually seen backsliding, uh, you know, employment actually going back down, consumption going back down. Um, and so, so yeah, so, you know, the CARES Act did good. It helped us kind of bridge the gap and get through a time when we really did want to shut down activity. Um, the problem is, is that in an ideal world where we had an effective testing regime and tracing regime, and, you know, we had kind of done all the stuff we needed to kind of say, okay, well, this is stuff that we can operate and this is stuff that we can't and we're going to keep that stuff closed and we're going to pay you to stay closed. Um, You know, we haven't done that and we're kind of running out of what we have. And so, yeah, there's a lot of concern that without enhanced unemployment, um, you know, that's the main thing that expires immediately. Um, But PPP loans start to run out uh, as well, although you can extend those a little bit. But, um, you know, you're going to see more consumption related issues, right? So you're going to have more people that aren't going to be able to pay their rent or their mortgage, or, you know, they'll start scaling back on other forms of consumption. And then that will start rippling through the economy and, you know, add up to us, you know, being much worse off, they say by the end of the year, than we would be if we continued some sort of support uh, to kind of, you know, essentially, we're paying people not to interact with others, yep. right? That's what we're doing, right? Because in some sense, the people aren't going to interact with them anyway, right? That's that's the reality, right? Is a lot of face-to-face service businesses, there's limited demand for what they're selling currently. Um, you know, not as bad as it was in April, but there's definitely plenty of people that are like, yeah, I'm not going to go uh, get on an airplane right now, or I'm not going to go sit in a restaurant right now, or I'm not going to go to a concert or whatever it is. And that's a big chunk of the economy. And when you take a big chunk of the economy and you say it's not viable anymore, you're going to have a problem in other parts of the economy because it's all linked together. And so we're seeing, as you said, we're seeing signs of kind of declining um, employment and declining consumption already. And then these programs run out and my understanding is, you know, the House has passed some things, but the Senate is nowhere, hasn't even taken up debate. Doesn't seem likely that something gets shoved through 
at the end, like it, it doesn't seem likely, like like with the budget, how they pass these continuing resolutions at the last hour. Um, I'm not seeing much action there, and there's, uh, you know, from a political strategy standpoint, it's unclear to me if that's wise or not. I, I mean, that's that's a bigger question that's harder to navigate. But yeah, how are you making sense of state of play in in Washington right now? Well, I mean, the Senate's going to do something. Um, okay. Uh, what remains to be seen, and how long it will take remains to be seen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, something will get done. I, I feel pretty comfortable that something will get done. Mm-hmm. Um, but how good or effective will it be? Um, and, you know, all that is is truly, you know, I mean, I started to see a few hints of what people think might get done um, in terms of, you know, the negotiating positions. So I'm I'm hopeful that there will be some level of support to kind of keep us from uh, doing long-term damage. Um, so I I but I don't know how much. I don't know who will get it and whether it will go to the right the people that uh, we need to provide it to to keep things afloat. But uh, so that all remains to be seen. So but something will get done. Yeah, I mean, so let's kind of pivot the conversation. I mean, when we started this incentives and instincts series, I mean, we sort of started with the framing of, hey, there's a lot of things going well in our economy and our society, but it does sort of we do have this kind of persistent sense that something is deeply wrong, and we've we've been you know COVID notwithstanding had been starting an, an exploration of various dimensions of this. Wealth inequality, material insecurity, healthcare, political polarization, and, and and you know burnout and things like that. Um, and we sit here, you know, we just talked about testing. We just talked about kind of the state of policy right now. And it seems pretty clear that we're at a moment um, where we've gotten to a place where our government can't solve problems. Like as a country, we. we we're we're not good at solving problems. And you know, that's concerning on a bunch of different levels. And you wonder, how did we get here? How do we get to a place where, you know, an issue like masks is instantly polarized and politicized? Um, how do we get to a place where you know, all of these kind of decisions toward polarization or incentives toward inaction exist? It's a big question. I don't really have strong intuitions or sense or understanding of data to have a a unified theory of of what's happening here. Um, Bryce, how are you making sense of this moment? We've been having this conversation literally as long as I've known you. Since we've met, yeah. It's literally the precursor to this. So this notion that we can't solve problems is not new. It's just you would have hoped that when a real obvious and significant problem arises, uh, we would have been more capable of addressing it. So in, there is new information in that our we're, our inability to uh, effectively address this problem when it's a real threat. And, you know, I mean, we're at what hundreds of thousands of people dead and, you know, trillions of dollars of economic losses and, we're falling into the same pattern. So there's definitely something wrong. 
I think we can agree that. Now, in terms of where does it come from, that's hard, right? Because it's tough to come up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of think of it like a a, a machine with lots of gears, mm-hmm. right? And while there's lots of gears that are necessary for us to have fallen this whole path, it's not one of them by itself is that's, oh, it's that one, right? There's a lot of different pieces that go into uh, creating a situation in which even in the face of significant problems, we don't just kind of come together and, you know, pick a vision and go with it. And do, I mean, do, before we kind of get into it, do we have a false notion of our ability to solve problems being better in the past? I mean, I sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to fall into this nostalgia trap of, oh yeah, you know, back in World War II, we rallied around this, or back in the Cold War, we rallied around that, or we were able to do this then. I, is that like a, a false understanding of history or, um, or have we actually gotten worse at, at solving problems <laughs> at, at, at a government level? It's hard, right? Um, you know, because what we see from history is we see big stuff. We don't get to see all the little stuff that goes along the way. Right, and right. certainly history repeats, right? I mean, there were anti-mask protests in 1918. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this notion that, you know, oh, we're now in, uniquely incapable of wearing men. No, that's kind of a thing. Um I guess I would have hoped that with more scientific understanding of viruses, it would have been easier this time around. But, but yeah, no, it's certainly this notion that we've always been able to rise to any challenge and solve any problem is is not true. I I don't know if we have some objective measure of our ability to solve problems, uh, because in some sense, how we solve problems is in some senses in the eye of the beholder right yeah like yeah you know particularly at a at a at a political or social level there's winners and losers and so uh solving one problem may mean creating another one for somebody else Mm -hmm. and so um but you know it does seem i mean certainly things like and now we're getting into the political machinations but you know the filibuster didn't used to be used as regularly sure uh you know there's been all sorts of kind of process related changes um, that do seem to suggest, you know, almost uh, in the current moment, a greater willingness to gum up the wheels and try and, you know, and a less willingness to kind of solve problems. Now, and part of the, look, part of this is just a weird point in terms of where we are politically, right? In terms of elections are close, right? That's one of the gears that goes into this, right? When, Control of the House or the Senate is not really an issue, right? Which for decades, right, parties have controlled one, controlled the legislature right, or, right. you know, the you know the presidency for longer periods, although that tends to be less, right? So when when elections aren't close, well, then you don't have to mobilize as much, mm-hmm. right? So you know there is some of that that's part of this as well. As and like, you can take more chances with policy and and. That's and, right. And, and visions you put out there as a candidate. So, you know, in some sense, the fact that we have close elections means that we're maybe less capable of solving problems. 
A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Aspen Runkle. I'm a graduate student at the College of Business and a marketing intern for the podcast, and you're listening to A New Angle. But, you know, it's also hard because uh, problems like COVID, we don't have to deal with them that often. True. And, you know, obviously we didn't deal with the Great Depression all that great. That's why it's the Great Depression. Uh, And so, you know, and obviously, you know, when you have world wars, uh, when things escalate to the level of a world war, now we resolved those problems. But the fact that we ended up in those problems also is suggestive that, you know, look, there's always going to be problems, right? I guess. And so maybe we shouldn't frame it that way. Maybe Mm -hmm. we shouldn't try and frame it as why are we so bad, you know, and as if, you know, we don't need to use the frame of history. We don't need history to know that we're not doing well right now. Right. Right. I don't need to say, oh, imagine that my grandparents would have done a better job. Maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't have. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we're not doing a good job right now. And so we should just kind of stick with, you know, look, do we have problems currently? Yes. Are we making progress in solving those problems? Pretty much no. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, in the last decade, have we addressed a major problem in this country? <laughs> doesn't feel like it um you know i think that it depends on your unit of analysis or like where you focus right i mean you could say like oh yeah democrats got through the affordable care act so they're they're advancing you know solution to health care from another perspective you could say well you know the obama administration did nothing to address you know wealth inequality or middle-class prosperity, or enduring issues in, in our society. And I guess you could go down at issue by issue. Kind of yeah, and it's a, there's certainly marginal progress. And I would, I would say that, you know, the Affordable Care, I mean, that, that was slightly more than 10 years ago, so that I used decade advisedly. Um, you know, I mean, Medicaid expansion by itself is something that has generated significant benefits and mm-hmm. solved a variety of problems. Um, but, you know, our ability to address many other of the kind of significant problems, right? Again, Congress passes laws to deal with, you know, the opioid crisis or to deal with, you know, some other little thing, you know, so that's certainly happened and they certainly have funded the programs. And so all that kind of stuff continues to happen. But in terms of, you know, if you think of the significant issues that, uh, kind of remain real threats to people's well-being. Healthcare shocks are still a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, climate change is still a thing. Uh, you know, material insecurity and, you know, I, for lack of a better term, just fear. Yep. Right? There is a lot of fear in our society. And... um you know, again, other than we reduced some of the fear related to healthcare with the Affordable Care Act, I'm just not sure how much we've managed to really 
address the things that people are afraid of. Um, I guess yeah. crime continued to go down, although it's kind of has flatlined a little bit. But uh, yeah, and we could throw in there. I mean, fear around uh, discrimination, uh, yeah, police violence. A lot of people still have fear for their physical safety from the state, and that that's a problem that uh, you know you could argue we've made incremental progress on, and, and and so forth. But it's still a real problem, you know. And I think too, like part of this is there is political debate around what is a problem, right? And like right now, I mean, I think that there's a view of the world that COVID nineteen is is not a problem that it's either a hoax or that it will go away. The hoax theory seems pretty darn marginal. Um, but the theory that it's, it's, you know, it's just a cold and it'll go away and not a big deal. I mean, that, that seems pretty persistent in some corners of the population. So there is this like political dynamic around acknowledging that something's a problem. And then within that, if you acknowledge it's a problem, like, is it a problem worth solving? Exactly. And that's part of this, this, this complicated machine, right? And it's one of the, you know, the more insidious parts of the machine is um, when something is inconvenient for my political tribe, I will undermine the notion that it's a problem, mm -hmm. right? And again, like I, you, I, you would have thought, I would have thought that, oh, hundreds of thousands of people have died, that's clearly a problem, right? Like there's no, there's no way to minimize that. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are. Well, I mean, I think uh, a way to minimize it that hasn't happened, but it, a way to contextualize it at the very least is to put that number up against other forms of death during the same period. Like how many drug overdoses were there? How many drunk driving accidents were there? Car accidents, deaths of despair, other another thing that we've talked about, or deaths from other um, forms of illness that we could put resources towards. But there hasn't even been that, right? There hasn't been even been an attempt to have that kind of context. Well, because you don't, you don't, you won't be successful with that, right? Right. Like, uh, COVID is, I mean, at various points has been the third leading cause of death and might have even gone above third. Uh, you know, I mean, it's excess mortality this year. So the number of deaths total, right, since COVID started, you know, relative to baseline, I mean, we're, we're definitely 20, 25% right. above. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't, I guess one can try to minimize or try and say that, you know, we should sacrifice people for the sake of the economy and whatever it is. But um, uh, that feels icky. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, there aren't trade-offs. You know, there's always going to be trade-offs. But like, you know, this is not a cold. This is not the flu. This is a very serious illness that has pretty adverse effects on a large share of the people who get it. And by large share, I mean, that, that's, you know, maybe a few percent. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, relative to most, you know, the cold or the flu where, yeah, people die from those things. Um, but it is many times uh, lower percentages than we are currently dealing with, with COVID. So yeah, it's just, it's very difficult for me to get to a space where 
you know, and this is this is you know frequently when we have political discussions on all sorts of topics in in this country. Uh, I struggle when we can't get past the descriptive phase, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's one thing to disagree on the solution to the problem, uh, or um, where the problem ranks in terms of priorities. Um, but when it's the problem doesn't exist, right? Don't believe your lying eyes, the gaslighting of, yeah, this is, it just does that's not a problem. Like that's where, that's definitely for me, one of the great problems of our current system is we can't even get to the point of having the debate that we really need to have, right? Which is, I don't like your solution to this problem. Or I agree that this is a problem, but if we do that, then we can't do this other thing, which I think is a bigger problem, right? Those are real debates. Those are the debates that we should be having collectively as a society. But those are not the debates that we are frequently having. We basically have to spend a bunch of energy convincing people that it's a bad thing that a bunch of people are dying or uh, it's a bad thing if X, Y, or Z is happening or that doing something simple like wearing a mask can help solve that problem. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, that's where I am currently frustrated. Again, I don't know if it was better at a time in the past, but it certainly seems like we should be capable of having a more sophisticated discussion of both this is a problem and here's the evidence of that shows us that this is a problem and then okay great we can agree that this is a problem this is not what we want right and then we should be able to move forward from that and the fact that we can't get there that you know we are in fact probably moving backwards from that ideal uh is something that frustrates me to a great extent. Yeah, and you've brought this up in a in a variety of contexts. I mean, it seems like we have we have repeatedly a framing problem. I mean, we talked about it extensively in the COVID collab that the notion of reopening the economy was was misframed and we tried to present some other ways of thinking about it. Now we're looking at a similar misframing um, this one, uh, maybe even more pernicious or misguided in terms of, re- you know, we've applied this reopening kind of notion to schools as this discrete thing. The doors are open or the doors are not. Where you raised the question, I think this is the right one. Like That's the entirely wrong problem. The problem is, or the challenge is, how do we educate our children? This one is at least, I can at least understand how we make the mistake, right? In terms of, you know, we're not seeing clearly what the problem is, right? We are like, we, we're, we're, we're kind of in the ballpark, but we haven't got it precisely drilled down. But yeah, the, I mean, this notion of this reopening, the, while the pandemic is ongoing, nothing is truly reopening, right? There's more activity in certain spaces, sure. but reopening, this notion of that we're going to go back to what we had before is just, it's just nonsense. And so, it, you know, with schools, We've spent a ton of time and effort, myself included, trying to figure out 
well, how do we safely reopen schools, right? What does that mean? What does it look like? All that kind of stuff. And, you know, opening schools is certainly can be part of the solution, but you get a much better answer when you ask the right question, which is what's the problem that we're really trying to get at here, which is we need to figure out how to educate and care for children because they require lots of time and attention. Absolutely. And if we don't, you know, so the care piece is important. And then we have a window in which we've set aside to educate them. And if we miss that window, there's long-term consequences. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you get a, you get to a better answer if you start with, well, what's the, what's question am I trying to answer in this case? It's yeah, I got to figure out how to care for children and educate them. And I've got to respect the fact that the parents, you can't just say, Oh, parents, well, you guys figure it out, which is kind of what we did in the spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we just said, Oh, Hey, upon people, here you go, parents. Um, you know, this, the, the entire infrastructure that we have built for caring and educating for children, uh, we're not going to allow you to access that. Uh, we're going to put this little piece online and we'll try and do some stuff. You know, we'll make some stuff up as we go along and, uh, you know, figure it out. And, you know, I mean, we now have data, right? So parents were spending two to three hours a day educating your children. That's average. Obviously, there's enormous variation around that, depending mm-hmm. on how many kids you have, how educated you are, uh, you know, what kind of resources you have in the house, in ter- you know, in terms of computers and the internet. But almost all parents work, right? So, seventy percent of children under the age of thirteen live in a household where every adult in their household uh, is either working or in school. Like there's just not a lot of resources that are sitting around idle in most people. You know, I mean, with older children, they can kind of care for themselves to some degree. But when you go and you say to parents, hey, parents, uh, you now have two to three hours of education and an additional, say, four to five hours of setting up for education the next day and just providing care. Well, prior to COVID, on days in which you went to work, a working parent has two hours of leisure time. So the arithmetic doesn't work here. Right. Right. Two to three hours of education, four to five hours of care, but only two hours of leisure time. And that leisure time isn't really leisure time. A lot of that's just like, I'm burnt out and I'm like, yeah, watching TV. And a lot of that is like, you say two hours yet, you know, in terms of children's education, yeah, a lot of this just like we we don't have the absolute amount of time needed to solve this problem in our current configuration, but also like within that, like our days and lives are not structured in such a way to solve the problem either. Yeah. You know, even if I have two hours of time that I I could address, you know, I I could direct towards solving this problem. I don't have it when my kids are at their best and most ready to learn and engage. I have it probably after their bedtime. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, so yeah, you've got this whole time challenge of shifting things around and, you know, okay, well, who gets your good hours? Right. Yeah. And on what days and what are the consequences of that? And, you know, so, I mean, but yeah, so obviously, okay. So there's the problem. There's one of the, one of the many problems related to COVID. Right. And here we are, it's the end of July 
And I've seen various plans for opening schools, Mm -hmm. but all of those plans have in them, well, if the virus is bad, we're just going to shift you back home. Right. Whether for three days a week or for the whole week. And one in five Montana workers are in that household where every adult in the household is at work. Wow. But they have a kid under age 13, at least one. Hmm. Right? Well, how do you operate a society? How do you operate an economy when one in five of your workers is in a situation where some, and, you know, and look, who, who deals with it in the household? There's all these, you know, and obviously almost always it's women, mm-hmm. um, but like not always. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's, there's other resources that one can pull in to help you address that problem. But I would have hoped that we would have had a more robust vision for how do we solve, how we're going to solve the problem of caring for and educating our children at this point, given that we know that we're not going to be out of the COVID issue for a while. And you know, I mean, obviously the problem is that the only way to solve the problem without putting all the burden on parents is to provide resources uh, that parents can access. And, you know, right now, as we talked about with respect to Congress, those resources have largely not been made available. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny how this, like, this tension or dysfunction that you're describing I feel like it exists at, a, at an individual family level as well. Like on any given day right now, I feel like in, actual, in, in some ways, like life is actually a little bit easier. You know, the, the, the number of appointments for my children and activities that they do is drastically reduced. And every day is pretty simple. And there's, there's, there's actually in our family, there's, there's kind of been – a little bit of a beauty to that. Like it's been, it's been enjoyable in, in some ways. So I, I feel like any given day is relatively easy to execute on, but I can't plan more than like six hours out in my life because of that uncertainty. And, you know, it's sort of, even that, the sort of that, that framing that I just laid out there is kind of ignoring this looming situation with with education like like we discussed i mean we're sort of in this world where okay what's missoula going to look like when when and if kids go back to school when and if students come back to campus when and if missoula becomes a hot spot because there's an outbreak on the football team for example what happens here um what happens if you know, the kids are fine, but the teachers are sick or something like that. Like there's all these scenarios that I feel like we're, we're not, it's, it's almost an impossible planning challenge in some ways. And, you know, and I've made the joke, this is not the time for people who require plans. This is not their time to shine, right? This is the time for those of us who are more like, Hey, we'll just kind of adapt on the fly. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly a need for that. But that doesn't mean that you can, you know, this doesn't mean there's not a plan. It's just a plan to adapt. Right. Right. And the plan to adapt usually entails making sure that you have a, a, a wide variety of resources that you've identified that you can tap into so that, you know, essentially it's, it's like a cooking show 
right? Where you just want to know that there's lots of stuff in the pantry. Yeah. Right? Because you don't know what challenge they're going to throw at you today. But you got to basically be, have a bunch of people who have a good ability to solve problems with the resources available on the fly. This is their moment to shine. Those are the people that we need to shine in this moment. And, you know, it, it's a struggle because our society, because we, we do exist in a relatively stable society, right? We have not selected based on that trait, right? Lots of people who are, you know, in important positions or lots of people who are, you know, just in general thriving in our society are very much, I want a detailed plan type people. And they're frequently very vocal about the fact that they don't get a detailed plan and how much they don't like the fact that there's not a detailed plan. And that becomes just another impediment to solving the problem. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, like I also like enjoy the, you know, what I'll call the simpler life um, with my children. I like the fact that there aren't as many activities and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's one thing when there's not, what is basically it's fine if they just go outside all day, right? But that's, that's a summer vacation luxury. And once the weather turns and once we're supposed to, you know, we know that we have to educate them at some point, um, then things will become much more challenging yeah. because uh, it's a lot harder to deal with your children when you're basically just, they're not just saying, see you later. We're going outside. Uh, and you're like, all right, I'll see you at lunchtime. Yeah, exactly. Uh, lunchtime uh, first, and then bedtime. And uh, yeah. I mean, there's beauty to that, but you're right. Like we're kind of kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Quite, well, if it's quite literally, if it's cold and rainy and they're inside my house, um uh there will be problems Makes i mean sense. there's already problems when they're outside but like <laughs> uh there will be many more problems that uh will require much more interruption of my day uh and i mean you know and some of that's just the educational piece but like even just in the care piece right the part of the day where i'm not trying to actively educate you right i'm but i'm here kind of to keep you safe and keep you out of trouble um you know, the disadvantage of having three children is that the probability that any two of them end up in a fight at any given point in time when they're in each other's space, you know, those of us who have siblings or have kids, uh, you know what those odds are. Yeah. They're not a winning proposition. They are not a winning proposition. Um, speaking of winning propositions, you know, we have not, uh, had a lot of positivity in this podcast, but maybe we've won the competition of most pessimistic podcast and at least in our series, um, it's probably a good spot to, to, to end it, Bryce. Um, yeah, the weather's great. Summer in Montana, life is good on many dimensions. People get outside and enjoy themselves. Any, any parting uh, positive thoughts, Bryce? Can you summon any? Any positive parting positive thoughts? Um, there are silver lines. I mean, there are rays of you know sun off in the distance. You know, this testing fiasco that we talked about earlier, I saw some rumblings earlier that suggest that at some point in the fall, we may have widespread rapid testing mm. available. Um which would be a, you know, again, going back to being able to execute that vision of identify and isolate. 
it's a whole lot easier if there's a test that we all have at our house that we spit on a piece of paper and stick it in this little thing and it tells us whether it thinks we're positive in 15 minutes. Uh, that's a much better world to live in, right? Um, and then obviously the second thing is that we now have, I think, two separate vaccines that have suggested that they produce an immune response. Um, so they'll be moving into the final phase, which is we'll give it to people and see if it actually works. Nice. Um, and so those two things are, you know, they suggest that this is temporary, right? Which doesn't mean that it's over, that we can be relaxed, you know, but it does mean that, look, we should be able to achieve a higher level of execution because we know that we're not going to have to do this forever, right? We should be able to kind of go back to the core vision, which is, look, minimize your contact, find the people who are sick, isolate them so that we can go back to doing more and more of the stuff that we normally do, safe in the knowledge that we're not encountering somebody who might transmit it to us, and we're all wearing masks. So if they, if we do happen to have the bad luck, the odds of them giving it to us are low. So the, you know that vision is still there. It's been. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the very first COVID podcast several times. Yep. And uh, you know it's still just sitting out there. And all we really have to do is care about each other enough and have somebody make sure that the resources are available so that we can execute that vision. Because it's not that hard, particularly if I know that at some point within a reasonable time frame, we're going to get more resources to help us do a better job. Okay. Well, Bryce, that seems like a good way to bring it to a close. It never always gets worse. Um, I look forward to our, our next conversation next month. Who knows? Maybe we'll be in the studio. Maybe not. We'll see. The world seems to change uh, every day, and that's probably a good thing. So, Bryce, until next time, thank you. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors, these guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Our awesome interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word. Be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.